Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Josh. I'm not one of the pastors here, but I'm still excited to be here this morning. How about you? Awesome. So that just feels weird. That's Mike's thing. That's not my thing, right? I'm not Mike, obviously, even though day by day, getting a little closer to Mike's hair situation. Um, but again, like Jeremy said, my name is Josh DeCook. My wife and I and our kids have been worshiping here for about two years. Uh, just thankful to have the opportunity to be with you here this morning. So first, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had to prepare for something that you are not looking forward to at all? Something that was going to be really, really hard. But no matter what, you knew you had to do it. For me, this brings up a memory from, boy, four or five years ago now. Uh, It was actually spring break. And we decided that we were going to go to Florida because my parents got roped into a timeshare in Orlando. And um, hear me well, I was not at all not looking forward to spending time with them. We actually love the fact that they got roped into a timeshare in Florida. Um, It's it's a a little complex where there's pools and there's water parks and there's ice cream and we could honestly spend the whole time there. But we also get to go to Disney, right? And who doesn't love to go to Disney and just sit there and stare at people the whole time? Because that's what I love to do. Um, So we were excited to get there, right? But what I was not excited for was the getting there part. Because most people, when they think about going to Orlando, think of flying to Orlando, right? Well, at this time, rail was five, Zeke was three, and we decided it made more sense to drive. Because, let's be honest, right? You fly down there with kids, you have to fly car seats. You have to figure out how to get all the luggage there. You have to rent a car when you're down there, and the costs just keep adding up and up and up. So we decided and said we were going to drive. Now, driving is fun, Unless you're the person who thinks about all the bad things that could ever possibly happen on a trip like that, which is me. I like to think about all the things that could potentially go wrong with the trip. And 14 hours in the car each day, not to mention staying in Tennessee at the house of some of our friends, parents who we've met maybe once or twice in passing, right, was really presenting me with a lot of, ish, a lot of opportunities, if you will, to not be overly excited about what could potentially go wrong on this trip. Guys, we did, we did so much to prepare for this trip. We did so much. Um, we actually planned out our route using Google Maps because we weren't going to use our phones the whole way down there for navigation because we wanted to make sure we had enough data when we got down there. So we printed off turn-by-turn directions, right? And I was excited because I'm like, all right, sweet. I can see from this turn to this turn, it's like 33.2 miles, right? So every time we got to that turn, I'd hit the trip odometer, and I can wait till the next one comes up, right? And the next turn's, you know, 45 miles, and the next one's 450, which, (laughs) that was super fun. You know, it's one of those, all right, let's bear down and do this moments. Um, We planned out all the places we were going to stop and eat along the way, because I'm type A and like to think I can be in control of things. So I wanted to control, all right, this is where we're going to stop when. This is where we're going to eat. This is when we're going to do this. We had a little map that we put on the roof of our car, and 
map doesn't really do it justice. It's more like a timeline. So think of a long strip of paper from here to here. And, you know, this was leaving home and over here was Florida. So then what we did is we had markers every so often of a different city we'd get to or a different state, something of that nature. And then we gave each of our kids five paper clips. And each paper clip represented one time that they would ask, are we there yet? Or where are we? Okay. And so the idea was they see, they asked where we are, we're here. We have to get to here. So they won't ask as many times, right? But, you know, when the first five paper clips are gone and the first two and a half hours of the trip, you realize this was great in theory. Uh, in practice, it didn't work out so well. Um, so we had that, right? We even named our van the Incredible because the Incredibles was a big thing. We're trying to make it fun. You know what I mean? We had, we had portable DVD players for the kids that we had borrowed from some friends of ours, and that way they could watch movies, and I wouldn't have to hear the constant conversations in the back or the fighting, and we're like, all right, this is great. Um, not only that, but we wrapped little presents, like individual presents that they could open every hour. And now, hear me well, these were small little presents, right? Small little things that they could open, and every hour then it would be entertaining, so they get something new, something exciting. So we, we thought we had everything prepared. And were we prepared? Yeah, I think we had everything we could possibly think of. Was I ready? <laughs> no, no, not, not one bit. And then the morning came, and we got in the Incredibile and hit the road. Now, as you drive to Florida, you get to go southeast, and you head through Pella, okay? And we're about 35 minutes in, so I don't know, like 15, 20 minutes from Pella, and Zeker starts telling us, our, our youngest, that he's not feeling the best. So I'm driving, and I look back, and he's not looking good. And I did what any good husband and father would do. I looked at my wife, and I said, you need to do something about this. <laughs> and I look back, and I'm like, all right, I still need to drive, still focusing on the road. And then I look back again, and he's getting whiter. And I look forward again, and I look back again, and now his lips are like translucent. And then he, blah, all over, right? And fortunately, he had a blanket on him, so it all went in the blanket. And my wife, being as prepared as she was, she brought gallon Ziploc bags, which parents of little kids bring gallon Ziploc bags along on road trips. They save a lot of time. And we, we, we pulled over, right? And I still remember on that road to Pella, that's the turn we went off on, that's the gravel road, and that's the house that I just decided to park in their driveway of while we did this. So we, we get him cleaned up, we get new clothes for him because Heidi had prepared everything for him, so she has new clothes for him, and we get back in the car and we drive to Pella, and we get to Pella, we go to Walmart, and at this point in time, it's like, okay, what's happening? Is he sick? Because that's my biggest fear, One of my, well... Other than snakes, my biggest fear is getting sick and throwing up, okay? So I'm thinking, is he sick? Because if he's sick and I'm in this car and he's sick and I'm with him, I'm going to get sick and we're all going to get sick and this is going to be horrible and this is going to be awful and you can see how it spirals, right? So we get there and we were thinking through it and we said, well, we know he's had this before because there's been times where if he's been staring at a screen, he gets a little motion sick. So we picked up some kids' Dramamine and pumped him full of kids' Dramamine and get back in the car and it's at this point in time that we had a decision to make. Are we going to continue forward or are we going to say, no, we're going to stop and go home? I wanted to stop. <laughs> I wanted to go home because, again, being the person who thinks about all the things that could possibly go wrong with something like that, number one, it already happened within the first 40 minutes of the trip. And if number one happened, you know logically number two, three, four, five, and six are all going to happen because we have 14 hours in a car. But we decided instead, our mission is to get to Florida. No matter how hard this is going to be, and for any of you who, are who have driven through Atlanta, 
Um, it is hard, and there were challenges along the way. But our mission was to get there because we knew once we got there, it would all be worth it. And there's just times in our life when we have to prepare ourselves for doing things that are hard. When we get pushed into situations that are uncomfortable that we'd much rather not be in. We find ourselves in a space that's uncomfortable. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Preparing and preparation. So last week, Mike talked about the sixth sign in the book of John, and that was Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, right? Next week, he's going to talk about the seventh sign, which is cliffhanger, a big one. So you might want to come back next week and help us celebrate that. But this week, we're going to focus on what happened between the sixth and the seventh sign, a little thing called the triumphal entry. And if you're looking at me like, huh? Because it pretty clearly says Palm Sunday up there, right? I promise you by the time we're done with this, you will understand why the triumphal entry matters and how it impacts Palm Sunday. So first, let's set the stage. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, right? We're all good with that. Then what happens is some of the Jews who had come with Mary to see this went back and told the Pharisees what had happened. Now, if you've never heard of the Pharisees before, the Pharisees and their name Pharisees means separate ones were a group of religious Jews of the time, okay? These, these Pharisees were dedicated students and teachers of Old Testament law. They were very, very strict in keeping this law and obeying God's rules because they believed that that's how you get to heaven, by obeying God's rules. Now, they didn't get along with Jesus the best because Jesus was about the law too, but he also brought in the love aspect, he also brought in that, yeah, there's this, but there's also this, and there's so much more to it than that. And one of the big laws that the Pharisees knew is that there was only one God. You can imagine the problem this created then when Jesus comes along saying he's God, when Jesus comes along doing these things that really only God should be able to do, and now this pushes right in the face of the Pharisees because they're like, this doesn't fit with what we know the law to be. How can this guy possibly claim he's God? And not only that, but people are believing him, which creates a real problem for their understanding of the law. So you can imagine then that they didn't take too kindly to hearing what Jesus did with Lazarus. Because they believed that if the people began to follow Jesus, it was not only against what they believed to be true, what they knew the Old Testament law to be, but this would also lead the Romans to come in. Because this Jesus person is creating way too much problem. So we're going to come in, we're going to take over, the Pharisees are going to lose their nice, comfortable place that they've established, and take away our nation from us. Now, one of these Pharisees was a guy named Caiaphas. And Caiaphas developed a brilliant, brilliant plan about how to fix all this, right? His plan was simple. Kill Jesus. Because that's what's normal, right? When we have a problem with someone, we kill them, it eliminates the problem we have, right? Right? Okay, fair. All right, sweet. So, get rid of Jesus. People stop believing in this guy who's claiming he's God. Rome isn't then upset with us anymore. They'll leave us alone. Everything goes back to the way we like it and the way we know it. So Jesus then hears about this and leaves Bethany. He goes to Ephraim, which is about 13 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem, because the Pharisees and the chief priests had been telling everyone, if you see Jesus, tell us. Because we're going to get him, we're going to arrest him, which will then lead to us being able to finish our plan of killing him. 
So after Jesus left, he eventually comes back to Bethany. Now, Bethany is on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. It's about just outside of Jerusalem, okay? So you understand the proximity he was. He comes back because he's going to share a meal with people, and Lazarus is there. And remember, Lazarus, he just raised from the dead. Now, Mary was one of the people that were there with this meal. And while they're at the meal, Mary takes a pound of very expensive ointment, and she washes Jesus' feet with it. She then takes her hair and rubs his feet off. Now, the Bible tells us that the room was filled with a very strong fragrance of perfume, and Judas, that same Judas guy that we hear about later, asked why the ointment wasn't sold for 300 denarii and then the money given to the poor. Now, don't let Judas fool you here. He's not concerned about the poor. Judas wanted it to be sold for 300 denarii because Judas held the money bag. So if they sell it, the money comes into the money bag. Judas helps himself to anything in the money bag, which makes it better for him, okay? Jesus fires right back at Judas when he says this. And Jesus responds saying this. He says, leave her alone. That perfume should be saved until the day of my burial. The poor will always be among you, but you will not always have So as if that isn't enough then, we also learn that the Pharisees and chief priests made a plan to kill Lazarus. Because Lazarus represents a miracle that Jesus had just done, right? And this miracle represents Jesus is actually God. So hey, we're going to kill Jesus because he's a problem. Lazarus is a problem. Let's kill him too. So let's just recap where we're at, okay? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The Pharisees want to kill him. Jesus is talking about the day of his burial and the fact that he won't be around forever, and the Pharisees want to kill Lazarus. That's the context around the triumphal entry. That's what Jesus knew he was riding into. So let's dig in. If you have a Bible, open it to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible or on your phone, you can do it that way. Um, The words are going to be up on the screen, and if you need a Bible please grab one from the Next Steps table in the back. Those are there, so we want to make sure everyone has a Bible if, in fact, they need one. All right, verse 1 starts by saying this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a, colt, on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. See, everything had been building to this moment right here. Everything Jesus has done up until this point has led him to exactly where he is now, sitting on the foal of a donkey, an unbroken colt, ready to ride into Jerusalem to declare himself as the Messiah. See, this is big because Jesus had not yet done this before. This is the first time Jesus was going to publicly say, I am the Messiah. I am the one who comes to save. He prepared for this. And then he enters. Verse 8 tells us this. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now this crowd 
represents a lot of different kinds of people, right? We have people here that are disciples of Jesus. We have people that followed Jesus after he raised Lazarus from the dead because they're now wanting to see what's going to happen next. Even some of the Pharisees are there because now they're wanting to take a closer look at Jesus and figure out, what's this guy doing? Is he going to create more problems for us? Now, some of the crowd threw their garments or their cloaks on the road, right? This was a symbol of submission to Jesus as king. Others throw palm branches. Yeah, palm branches. They cut them down, throw them on the road, because in the Jewish world, this symbolized nationalism and victory. Verse 9 tells us that the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. All of these people going in front of him and behind him represented a kind of royal procession, if you will. And they're shouting out so everybody knows who exactly is coming. Now, when they shout Hosanna to the son of David, the word Hosanna is translated to mean, oh, save. So they're singing, save us, son of David. And the son of David is important because if you remember King David, David was the boy with the slingshot and hits Goliath in the head, kills Goliath, right? That David. And the people were promised that a savior would come in the line of King David. He would save them. He would set them free. So then in verse 10, we see this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, so upon entering, we see the city is stirred, right? Now, the actual word for stirred in Greek that's used here is eseiste, and this word is more commonly associated with shaken, okay? So the city is stirred, but there's also trembling. This city is shaking. There is so much going on that the people are a little bit afraid, a little bit excited. It represents all of those emotions, right? All of Jerusalem is hearing that this king that they've been told would eventually come has arrived. And you can imagine then that this creates a very wide range of emotions for all the people present. The Pharisees are upset. The Jews are elated because their king has arrived. The Romans are quite possibly terrified at what could happen next. And everyone else watching this or hearing about what's happening are on the edge of their seat because this is a big deal and they want to see what is going to happen. Now, can you see the irony in this? Jesus enters on a lowly, unbroken colt. Right? On a lowly, unbroken colt, but he's being treated as a conquering king. The people that are gathered here simply don't understand who Jesus is and what he's there for. They don't get what his mission really is. Their thoughts and ideas of this king were caught up in power, in glory, and in the overthrowing of the Roman authorities. But that's not Jesus. Jesus didn't come on a stallion ready for war. He rode in as a humble servant on a lowly colt because he knew his mission. He wasn't there to conquer. He was there riding on this colt because this path was leading him directly to the cross. See, this is the triumphal entry. This is what Palm Sunday is all about. This is what we're remembering. Now, if you've grown up in churches, you remember Palm Sunday parades, right? Where the kids walk in shouting Hosanna, raising palm branches, right? Now, th this is cute. 
okay? And this is fun because kids get involved in the service, and this was part of what happened. But if all we think about when we think about Palm Sunday as palm branches being waved in the air and kids walking through the aisles, we miss out on what Palm Sunday really is, what remembering what the triumphal entry was all about. We miss out on the fact that Jesus was preparing for his death. See, because as he stood at Bethpage, sending those two disciples off to get that colt, he was preparing himself to enter the city knowing full well who and what was waiting for him because he knew exactly what his mission was. He wasn't a conquering war hero that came to overthrow. He was the sacrifice that had to be made to free us from the chains of sin. This entry into Jerusalem set him on a path to be betrayed by Judas, to be arrested, to be stripped of his clothes, to have a crown of thorns placed upon his head, to carry his cross up that hill, to be nailed to that cross and to breathe his last breath while hanging from that cross. This is heavy, right? This is heavy, but it has to be. It has to be as we prepare ourselves to celebrate what we're going to celebrate in seven days. Palm Sunday begins the journey of Holy Week, and it's during this week that we need to prepare ourselves to truly understand and acknowledge what Jesus has done for us. Because if all we do is show up on Palm Sunday without preparing ourselves first, it's like showing up to watch the Harry Potter movies without reading the books first. There's so much depth and richness and meaning behind what is actually taking place that if we just get to Sunday and we're ready to celebrate without understanding why we're celebrating, we miss it. So the question then becomes, how do we do this? How do we prepare ourselves for Holy Week? And I have four things for you today. Pray about it, read about it, talk about it, and be about it. First of all, pray about it. Spend time every day this week in prayer that God reveals to you what he wants you to see, that he reveals to you what it is he wants you to focus on during this week. Pray that he removes distractions so you can be fully engaged and fully present, understanding what happened during this week leading up to Easter Sunday. Second is read about it. Read about the gospel accounts of the triumphal entry and all the events that then led him to the cross. Read about what Maundy Thursday is. And if you're sitting here saying, what is Maundy Thursday? That's a good hint that we should read about what Maundy Thursday is. Read about what Good Friday is. The third thing is talk about it. It's great to pray and read about it, but that's all internal, right? We sharpen ourselves by having conversations with one another, so talk about it. Talk about what Holy Week means to you. Talk about what you learned about Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and how those are impacting you personally. And finally, be about it. It's great to read and pray and talk, but if we can't live our lives in a way, and that myself included, okay, if we can't live our lives in a way that demonstrates our thankfulness, our gratefulness for what Jesus did for us on the cross, we miss out on such a huge part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
Maybe even find yourself a Monday Thursday service or a Good Friday service to attend to help keep you focused on what this week is about. Because this is Palm Sunday. This is our entry into Holy Week. It's time for us to prepare. Let's pray. So, Father, we come before you today, and this is heavy stuff. Father, it just is. It would be so much easier to not think about all of the hard things associated with Holy Week. It would be so much easier to focus on the fun palm parades and the Easter egg hunts and celebrating on Easter Sunday. Father, if we do that, if we focus on those, we miss the depth of what it is you really went through for us. So, Father, I pray this week that we can prepare ourselves. I I pray that we prepare ourselves in a way that allows us to truly enter into Easter Sunday morning, ready to celebrate, understanding exactly what it is that you went through for us because we understand how much you love us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.